Hello, thanks for clicking this button and joining us for this message today. Uh, there's a lot of things going on here at the church, and we just want to, you to know that you are invited. You are part of this church, and we would love to see you engage with all the different things that are happening here at Christ Community. So please go to our website under uh, Coming Up, and you can see all the groups, events, and everything happening. Also, be sure to click uh, subscribe so you can continue to receive notifications when new messages and new content comes so enjoy the sermon. Hello, Christ community. So glad that you're here. We are continuing our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. For the past few weeks, we've been focusing on chapter 7, which is a really challenging section in this book. In chapter 7, Paul addresses some questions that the believers, the Corinthian believers had, asked him regarding things like, Sex and marriage and singleness, which we looked at the past two weeks. Well, the, to the other topic Paul raises in this chapter has to do with divorce and remarriage. Now, I realize me just mentioning those words stirs up all sorts of emotions. Some of you here have been through a divorce and you feel tons of shame or guilt or heartache over that. Regardless of the circumstances, you carry the emotional weight of having a marriage that failed Others of you have parents who got divorced and you were kind of thrust in the middle of that, having to choose sides or secretly wondering if you were to blame. All of our lives here have been impacted in some way by the pain and the heartache of divorce, our own um, or people that we love. Now, unfortunately, the way this topic is often handled in church um, piles on to the guilt and shame and pain that surround this issue. And I, I don't feel like we do a very good job, the church as a whole, I don't feel like we do a very good job truly capturing God's heart as it relates to these things. And so today, I hope that changes as we look at what Paul says about divorce and remarriage in this passage. What, what I love about this passage is that it's, it, it, is, it is not Paul's attempt to give us this all-encompassing seminar on everything the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. No, this is a personal letter from Paul the pastor to a group of people who, like us, have questions about divorce and remarriage, not simply from a theological perspective, but from a personal perspective. And just like the Corinthian believers, we're longing for encouragement and, and hope for all of us, those who are married, those who are divorced, those who are remarried, those who are widowed, those who are single. There is truth and hope here for all of us. So let's dive in. What Paul does in chapter 7 is discuss a number of specific situations involving divorce and people in that particular church. And he offers his thoughts on each situation. And so we're just going to walk through this. I hope that as we walk through this, we, we see the complexity of these issues and that there isn't one size, a one-size-fits-all approach to these things, even though that's often how divorce is is handled by many Christians who make these universal black and white law-like statements about divorce and remarriage without really wrestling with what the whole of Scripture says about God's heart and how these things might apply to each situation. So what I'd like to do is just start walking through the passage 
and gleaning insights from each scenario. First scenario begins in verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, so who is Paul talking to here? This is a, that's a really important question. Who's he talking to? He says here, to the unmarried and widows. Now, we know what the word widow refers to, but who is Paul addressing with this word unmarried? The Greek word he uses is the word agamos, which is the word for marriage with an A attached to the front of it, which makes it mean the opposite. Just like in English, if we add the word a, the letter A to the word theist, it becomes atheist. Okay, it makes it, 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 it the opposite. So this word agamos refers to anyone who is not married. Now, in verse eleven, Paul uses this exact same word to describe a person who is divorced from her husband. So this verse, this word in verse eight can refer both to people who have not ever been married as well as to people who have been divorced. Now, since there is another word Paul could have used if he wanted to limit this to people who had never been married, well, we know he could use that word because he uses that word later in verse 25. It's the word translated virgin where he addresses those who have never been married. So in light of that, it seems pretty clear that Paul, in verse 8, is including people who have been divorced. So what does he say to those who are widowed or those who have been divorced? It is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul is saying, if you've been widowed or divorced, it is good if you remain single like I am. But if you don't think you can do that with your sexual desire, then by all means, get married. Okay, so notice right off the bat, Paul says it is okay for a divorced person to get married. It's not a bad thing. It's not something anyone should be ashamed of. It is a good thing. After all, it is a marriage, and God values and esteems marriage. So right away, Paul is dispensing with this idea that anyone who is remarried should feel ashamed about that. It's not what he says here in scenario number one. Second scenario, beginning in verse 10. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay, so now Paul is talking to those who are married, and notice what he does here that's different from the first, the previous comments. Here he says, not I, but the Lord. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is that this particular instruction he's about to give is something that comes from the teaching of Jesus himself. So Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 6, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That word separate is the same exact word that Paul uses here. So Paul is echoing the words of Jesus, urging married couples to not divorce. 
This is a major theme throughout scripture. It is not God's heart that married couples get divorced. In God's original design, marriage is a permanent thing where two people commit themselves to each other for life. So Paul is offering solid biblical, right here, he's offering solid biblical counsel from a pastor's heart. Marriage is difficult. It requires forgiveness and grace and working through conflicts and having honest communication. It, and, 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 it, and, it, and it's so easy in the midst of difficult seasons, it's so easy to start thinking maybe divorce would be the easiest way out of this. And so Paul reiterates the teaching of Jesus that it is not God's heart that married couples get divorced. And here's the deal. Mary, the way God invented marriage, the way he designed it, marriage is like a super glued relationship. And all of us know what happens when you, something has been super glued. You try to, oh, try to pull it back apart. It doesn't just, you know, come back apart at the seam. It just, it, it, you know, it's not tidy and neat in the, at the seam. Anyone will tell you, including anyone who has been through a divorce. Divorce is awful. It's painful. It has lasting consequences. So God's ideal is to stay married, to do everything we can to invest in our marriage and to work through difficulties. And then this is our heart as well as a church. We have a lot of really helpful resources to offer to struggling marriages, to help you get the help that you need. So there's a QR code in the, in the, the, the newsletter this weekend. The info desk has some information as well. You can call the church or whatever. Sometimes an objective perspective can be so helpful in getting unstuck in places in our marriage. So I want to encourage you, please access and utilize those resources to invest in your marriage. Don't wait you know, until the cavity becomes abscessed or whatever, you know, that analogy, don't wait. You know, we deal, we need to look at these things early on. And so I encourage you to look at the resources on those resource things. Okay, so we see here in Paul's words that God's heart is for married couples to stay married. However, Paul then goes on to talk about what happens if a person still makes this choice to get a divorce, even with Jesus' command. Verse 10, a wife must not separate from her husband. Separate, using that word from Matthew 19. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. See, so Paul is acknowledging the reality that someone might go against the teaching of Jesus and choose to get a divorce. So do, do you see how Paul is navigating this tension between God's ideal and the importance of not getting divorced with the reality that sometimes people do go ahead and get divorced? And in that case, Paul urges this person to either remain single or to be reconciled with their spouse. Now, in an, in an implied way, Paul is describing how at times God can use separation to bring about reconciliation between spouses. Sometimes I counsel married couples who are having difficulty. Sometimes I counsel them to separate for a season just to give space and room for healing and the possibility of reconciliation, which I've seen, which I've seen happen, and it's really cool when it does. And there are other times when it doesn't work that way, when people decide to, to get a divorce. Okay, so what then? Paul says that if reconciliation doesn't happen, the person should remain single. 
Now again, at some level, this counsel makes total sense. In other words, don't jump back into a relationship. Don't do a rebound relationship. Give space and time to heal and to work on your stuff, all of that. And, and by the way, we have, we have a divorce care group that's starting this coming week. If you're walking through the pain and the trauma of divorce, man, I encourage you to be a part of that group. Okay, so Paul has just urged this person who gets a divorce to either be reconciled with their spouse or to remain single. Now, here's the question. When Paul says this, is he declaring a biblical command that is set in stone in every situation that anyone who gets a divorce should never get remarried, or is he simply offering wise pastoral counsel? I think it's the latter. I think he's just offering wise pastoral counsel. And here's the reason that I think this. It's because we already saw in verses 8 and 9, Paul saying that a divorced person could get remarried. He's not contradicting himself automatically right now. We already saw this. And this gets reiterated. If we jump down to verses 27 and 28, it gets reiterated. So let's jump down there for a moment to the section where Paul picks up this theme again. He starts in verse 25 to address those who have never been married, the virgins, never been married. We talked about that last week. Okay, What what does Paul say next? Look at this, verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she is not sinned. Okay, the challenge here is in the way the NIV translation, which is what I'm using, the way it translates this. Because the the actual Greek is stronger than what the NIV translates. In in, In the actual Greek, Paul doesn't simply say, are you pledged to a woman? What he says is, are you bound to a wife? Or are you free? from a wife. In other words, are you divorced? He seems to be talking broadly to both the never married and also to those who have been bound to a spouse, i.e. they've been previously married. And his counsel here is identical to what he had shared earlier. Remain single if possible, but if you do marry, you haven't, you, you've not sinned. So it seems to me that Paul consistently allows for remarriage throughout this passage. And in my research, I discovered that this is reflected in many other places in Scripture as well. One of the best books on divorce and remarriage that I've ever come across, I highly recommend this book. It's called Divorce and Remarriage by a Redemptive Theology by Dr. Rubel Shelley. He was a professor, pastor, does a great job looking at all of Scripture and also speaking theologically as well as pastorally to different, uh, you know, the, the, in, the, in the midst of the difficulty of making all these decisions. Okay, so I want to read a quote from this book because I think it captures in a powerful way the biblical view of remarriage. He writes this, the Bible nowhere presumes that remarriage is sinful. To the contrary, it everywhere assumes that anyone who is not married is both likely to marry and permitted to do so. When one seeks and obtains a divorce for some trivial reason, that person sins against God and his mate and adulterates his marriage covenant. If and when he chooses to marry again, he must regard the new marriage as a holy commitment and take care not to repeat an earlier breach of marital faithfulness. 
See, I think that so powerfully reflects the grace and the truth of Scripture. And again, it articulates this tension that Paul is navigating. He's urging married people to stay married and to work through difficulties. But he's also acknowledging that divorce happens, and if it does, remarriage is permissible and is to be treated as a permanent commitment to the other person. This is really important for us to hear, especially those who are remarried. I was talking with a friend of mine recently who, got, who recently got remarried, and he mentioned how easy it is for remarried people to still feel the shame from their previous marriage failing. And, 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 and so they always feel like this recent marriage is not whole. It's not holy. It's sort of under a cloud of being spiritually second rate. But that's not Paul's perspective. To those who are remarried, Paul is like, this marriage is holy to God. This marriage is holy to God. It is valuable and it's important to him. Some of my dearest friends are remarried after a divorce and it is a beautiful picture of redemption and hope. So in the second scenario Paul addresses, he, he restates the teaching of Jesus urging people to stay married and to work on their marriage. If someone does get a divorce, he encourages a season of separation or reconciliation with their spouse. And finally, Paul gives allowance for remarriage. And if that happens, he urges people to view that remarriage as sacred and holy, as sacred and holy as their first marriage. Third scenario Paul addresses is a Christian who's married to an unbeliever. Verse 12, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Okay, what Paul means by this phrase, I, not the Lord, is that what he's going to talk about now, he doesn't have any specific teaching from Jesus. Before he did. He had Matthew 19. Now he doesn't. So he's, he's, he's saying, I don't have a specific teaching from the, the words of Jesus about this. That's what he's saying here. So now he's just giving us his apostolic wisdom and this doesn't mean it's any less authoritative, biblically speaking, but it shows, it shows us how Paul attempted to apply the heart of Jesus on these matters uh, to specific situations when Jesus didn't specifically address that situation. That's what we're going to see here. How does Paul apply the heart of Jesus to a situation that Jesus didn't specifically address? Verse 12, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So Paul is addressing a situation that I'm guessing was pretty common in, in the church in Corinth, in the midst of a pagan city like Corinth, where someone comes to know Jesus and yet their spouse doesn't. Their spouse doesn't show any desire to, to become a Christian. And so the Christians in this church at Corinth were wondering, what are we supposed to do in this situation? And Paul says, don't get a divorce over this issue. And look, he's repeating this, the theme that we have seen throughout this chapter. Stay in the situation you're in. He keeps saying that. He's encouraging people to stay in the situation that you find yourself in. But in this particular case, Paul goes on to give some specific reasons for a spouse to stay 
in a spiritually unequally yoked marriage. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and, through, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. This is such a fascinating passage that speaks to incredibly powerful spiritual reality that we could do a whole sermon on. Here's the, here's the reality it's speaking to. We as believers in Jesus carry the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go. We carry the presence of Jesus with us into the places we live and the places we work and the places we interact with others. Wherever we go, we bring his holy and loving presence. We can shift atmospheres by our very own presence. So Paul applies this broader, this broader concept specifically to a marriage with an unbeliever. He's talking about how a believing spouse brings the holy presence of Jesus into the family. And this can impact everyone in that family, children included. So if you're a believing spouse married to an unbeliever, I'm sure this journey feels spiritually lonely and at times very disappointing for you that you can't share with your spouse this most important area of your life in terms of your love for Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that your presence, your love for Jesus is making a difference in your family. Your family, your spouse, your children are tasting of and experiencing Jesus through you. So don't lose heart. Don't compare your marriage to your best friend's marriage. They both go to church and all that. Don't do that. Lean into Jesus and look for ways to continue to bring his holy and loving presence into your home. Paul even says in verse 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't know the impact your relationship with Jesus might have on your unbelieving spouse. I remember talking with a couple in our church. Um, they were telling me their story. She became, a, years ago, she became a Christian. Her husband was not, and he would just mock her, and he would be a jerk to all the women who came over to their house for Bible study. He was as far away from the Lord as you can imagine. And then one day, God got a hold of his heart and he became a Christian and they are both passionately in love with Jesus today. That that kind of thing can happen. So don't lose heart. It's always a possibility. But what if the unbelieving spouse gets fed up with all this Jesus stuff and whatever uh, and decides to leave? Well, that's the scenario Paul addresses next, verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. See, if the unbelieving spouse decides to leave, Paul says, let them go. Don't fight them. Don't be belligerent and angry. Be filled with peace. In other words, love them the way Jesus loves them, by giving them the freedom to choose without any judgment from you. Now, I want to stop for just a moment, and I want us to notice what just happened in this passage, because it is super important. Paul just added an exception to divorce that Jesus didn't mention. When Jesus talked about divorce, he mentioned one exception, that of sexual immorality, the breaking of covenant through adultery. Jesus said that divorce is permissible in that example, not commanded, but it's permissible. So now here we are in 1 Corinthians, and we have Paul 
adding an exception to this list. The exception of desertion, an unbelieving spouse choosing to leave, which raises a very important question. Might there be other exceptions that allow for divorce beyond these two things? Interestingly enough, Paul actually alludes to this in the very verse, this very verse, with a particular phrase he uses. This phrase, in such circumstances. Here's the verse again. Look at this. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances, plural. Recently, a renowned New Testament scholar by the name of Dr. Wayne Grudem studied the use of this phrase throughout all Greek literature at that time. And he discovered that this phrase, in such circumstances, is never used to describe one situation. It is always used to describe multiple situations. What this means is that Paul is alluding to the fact that there are other, ex there are other situations beyond desertion in which a person would not be bound in marriage. Now, obviously, we have to be really careful here because we've already seen how important marriage is in God's eyes and, and how he doesn't want to trivialize and, the, you know, the Pharisees were divorcing their wives for burning the toast, all that stuff. So we got to be really, really careful here that how any exception given for divorce must be very serious. I'm thinking of something like abuse, the abuse of a spouse, the abuse of children, a marriage where it is unsafe to a person's well-being. I appreciate a statement that Dr. Rubel Shelley articulated in the first chapter of his book. He writes this, whenever my reading of some biblical commandment drives me to a doctrinal posture that is oppressive to human beings whom God is trying to redeem, it is time for me to double check my interpretation of scripture. For us to use scripture to insist or urge a woman to stay in a marriage that is physically abusive to her or her children, what kind of a God would want that? As I heard someone recently articulate in a podcast, God not only cares about marriage, he cares about the two image bearers who have entered into this marriage, and he cares about their dignity as human beings. There's one other scenario Paul mentions, verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Okay, so this scenario addresses a person who is widowed. Paul's point is that in that situation, the widow or widower is free to remarry anyone he or she wants. But Paul says, make sure the person you marry is in the Lord. In other words, make sure this person is a follower of Jesus. Why enter into a new marriage with someone who doesn't share this most core part of who we are? And then, as Paul's been doing throughout this chapter, he, he, he again asserts his viewpoint that while marriage is good, Singleness is better. Uh, we talked about that last week. She would be happier, this widow or widow would be happier just remaining single. But Paul acknowledges this as his own perspective, as we talked about last week. He's not mandating this. He's just acknowledging this is his own perspective. Now, Paul says something right at the end of this entire chapter that I think really, really helpful for us as we're processing all of this. He says this, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. That's how the chapter ends. 
I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This line is so instructive for us as we're thinking about all of these really significant, life-changing, impactful decisions surrounding marriage and singleness and divorce and remarriage. As Paul is trying to address these complex and various scenarios happening relationally in that church, he is constantly keeping his ear attuned to the Spirit of God. And that would be my prayer for all of us regarding these topics that we would be seeking Jesus and opening our hearts to his spirit. What is the spirit saying to you in the midst of your difficult marriage? What is the spirit saying to you in the aftermath of your divorce? What is the spirit saying to your heart in that place, wherever you find yourself? See, in the midst of these situations, these circumstances, it is so easy to just start looking for advice and input from YouTube or whatever. Just start looking for sound, scriptural sound bites or, you know, opinions of experts on YouTube or our friends, what do they think or whatever, you know, what we should do. Um, or we flip that and we just tell other people what we think they should do in their situation. But do we have the Spirit of God? Do we have the Spirit of God? Are we listening to him and, and, and pressing into him and trusting him to lead us? See, the, the way Paul is navigating all of these topics is a really good reminder to us about how cautious we need to be in offering flippant, black and white answers to complex situations. Someone recently told me about a friend of hers who's going through a divorce and this person was going through a divorce. She was told by a Christian friend of hers, well, if you get a divorce, you can never remarry. Now think about that statement. For one thing, as we've already talked about, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to reflect Paul's perspective on, in this passage on remarriage. It doesn't reflect it. And it also, think about it, it also creates these weird theological scenarios. Like if they murder their spouse and then do the jail time, then they could get remarried. But if they divorce their spouse, they can't ever get remarried. I mean, th this counsel by a well-meaning person unfortunately creates this scenario where divorce becomes the unpardonable sin. And this person who is walking through the pain of divorce is now shackled with the oppressive burden, this oppressive burden for the rest of their lives. But that's not the gospel, last time I checked, <laughs> the gospel is good news. The good news of being empowered by the Spirit to work through hard things in our marriage. The good news of being forgiven when we mess up and being able to forgive those who have hurt us. The good news of relationships being reconciled and of hearts being healed. The good news of redemption and new beginnings. All of that is what God offers us in the gospel. In the midst of marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness. So let's lean into him. Let's listen to his spirit. And let's walk out this journey of following Jesus in the messiness of life. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's stand.
So what I want to do now, we like to do this at the end of a, a sermon, um, is really the launching point to us responding to the Holy Spirit. Just what we were talking about, listening to the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, come Holy Spirit. And I want to invite all of us to open our hearts afresh to the Lord and allow him to do what he would want to do in us or say to us. If you want to open your hands in a, a palms up posture, I encourage you to do that. It's just a posture of receptivity. So I encourage you to close your eyes. So Holy Spirit, come. And as he's speaking, if he's moving, if he's speaking, just say yes to him, to more of him. Like, what do you need? I feel like he's just saying, he's asking, what do you need? Do you need wisdom? Ask. Do you need strength? Ask. Do you need the ability to forgive someone who hurt you deeply? Ask. What do you need, Jesus is saying to you, to each one of us? So Jesus, we ask you, Holy Spirit, we ask you for what we need. For those who need strength, God, pour it out in abundance. For those who need humility to ask for help, to look for resources to help their marriage, we pray you would give them the courage and humility they need. For those who need to shut out all the voices they're listening to and are just needing wisdom from you, would you give them wisdom, Lord? One thing I want to pray into when we were praying before the service, um, someone I was praying with had this image come to mind of like an arrow that's used to kill an animal. But in the image, he saw that the arrow was just being unscrewed. The arrow was being taken off in just like a puffy thing <laughs> was replacing it. And I, I want to just, I want to pray into that because I've not been through a verse. I can't imagine how painful it would be at the deepest place of your heart and 
in terms of betrayal, in terms of rejection. But Jesus sees those places. He sees those places and he wants to take the arrow out and replace it with his healing and his love and his grace. And so Jesus, would you do that? Would you take out these arrows? Some of them are in our backs. Would you take the arrows out and the poison that was just in them as well? Would you just take all that out and just bring healing and just forgiveness and the ability to forgive? just the softness of your love so that these people can just move forward with hope and expectancy of good things from you. <clears throat> and God, I, I wanna pray as well. I just feel it on my heart to pray for marriages. Notice I didn't say pray for remarriages because if you're remarried, you're married. <laughs> you're married. And so I want to pray for marriages. <clears throat> Lord, I just bless every marriage here. I bless them in the name of Jesus with humility. I bless them with perseverance. I bless them with communication. I bless them with you being at the center of their marriage. I bless them with strength to endure hard times, Lord. I bless them with perseverance and a love that is supernatural because it comes from you. I bless them with joy and laughter. I just bless them with the ability to love each other the way you love us, God. I bless them with healing. Brother needs just healing relationally. Just bless every marriage here, God. Thank you for the God you are. We love you. We love you. We open our hearts to all that you want to do. So the worship team is going to continue. The Holy Spirit is here. Just continue to open your heart to whatever he's doing. And I want to invite you if at any point during the worship, if you want to come up, if you feel like the Lord is doing something, the Holy Spirit is on you in some way, maybe he's stirring something, we invite you to come up. This is ministry space up here. Just come up front. And if you're standing up front here, we're just trusting God's doing something. But we would love to, our prayer team, myself as well, we will come alongside you and just lay a hand on your shoulder and just bless what God's doing. And if we sense anything from the Lord, we'll just kind of share that with you to test and weigh. But this is all, whether you stay at your seat or come forward, it, it, really, this is all just space for the Holy Spirit to move. So Holy Spirit, again, we, we pray for you to continue to be moving. Not just about marriage and all that stuff, just about anything. God, we open our hearts to you. Just come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. All right, so if something that you have heard in today's sermon um, has inspired you or brought up something that you 
um, could benefit talking about or being prayed for, there is a button on our site that if you hit that button uh, is going to bring you to a chat box and there is a pastor on the other side of that who would be interested in being able to pray for you or talk to you about that. Um, so th this is just the beginning of something fantastic. So have a great day and I hope to hear from you.